Hey everybody, welcome back to the uh, Desert Tones podcast. Um, this is Jared, and I'm joined by my two two best friends. Hey, this is Dylan and Joey. And today we're gonna kind of get back on topic. Uh, last month we had a uh, story time episode, which was really funny, and we had a lot of fun talking about that. But um, we thought we would go back to uh, our roots, if you will, and talk about um, dynamics, specifically dynamics in the uh, context of pedals. Um, but as usual, uh, we're trying to keep things a little more interesting, and so we're gonna open up with um, new uh, with a few segments that uh, we've been trying to uh, put at the beginning of each episode, such as what what are we listening to at the moment? Like what uh, new bands have put out music or, or, uh, or new albums from existing, from existing bands that we already like. And then also what's on reverb and, and what kind of gear are we looking at? Um, I'll go first with new music. Uh, we all have plans to go see Tesseract on the sixth, on the fifth, fifth, yeah. fifth of November, no, fifth, yeah. um, up in Albuquerque. They just put out a record called War of Being. Um, it's really, really solid. I've been mm -hmm. listening to that quite a bit. Uh, surprisingly good. I actually was not a huge fan of their last release, Sonder. I, I didn't think that that was particularly good. Um, this is this is a really special piece of music. It feels on par to me with their first album, One, um, or with Altered State, their second record uh just like really really dynamic but also interesting tones um it's a concept record that i'm not super familiar with exactly what it's about mm. but um it's awesome it sounds really really good <clears throat> yeah i think i'm on the other end where i i did like the last two releases i like sonder i'd like polaris but i actually haven't listened to too much of ward being yet about side of like the single the title track and like and maybe I had one like partial listen through so far, but um, it sounds good. It sounds really good. I liked it. Yeah, that was um, yeah, kind of for me it was similar to Jared. Like the last couple maybe didn't jump out a whole lot to me, even though I like you know bits and pieces of them. I remember really liking King. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's um, a good one. But yeah, finally getting to see them live after all this time. They're like kind of one of the last ones on my list, and like this this like prog metal sphere of bands that I've yet to see live. So I'm really, really looking forward to, to seeing them and seeing what other stuff, what, what the set list is like and hopefully get a, a nice photo op. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also alluvial is going to be there, uh, which is a little bit of a heavier band, but Wes mm. Hauk, um, or Wes Haunch as we used to call him. <laughs> uh, uh, he, he plays, uh, uh, um guitar for them uh he's been uh somebody that we've really kind of looked up to for a long time now um it'll be cool to see hmm. see him with with that act uh have we seen alluvial before no they're they're relatively new yeah last like four or five years maybe i think the only time i've seen him play in a band was when he was playing with the faceless oh yeah we did see the faceless in el paso and like 15 16 yeah i do remember that and he was playing with them then yeah uh but he's a really really great player and a really funny internet personality yeah we would really 
get a big kick out of him reading or him posting his Yelp reviews of yeah. restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Some of his terminology and just funny lingo has seeped into our <laughs> our lexicon as well. Yeah. Uh, and the other opening act is uh, Intervals, yep. which we've seen seen once. I've never seen him. I think I've seen him twice. When was the second time you saw him? I think I've seen him twice in Albuquerque. Or once in Lubbock and once in Albuquerque. Yeah, I remember in like 14 when the four of us, uh, you, me, Cody, and Jaron went up there. That was a lot of fun. But Oh, and I, I did see uh, Plintervals in 2016. So yeah, that, that would have been that, really cool. That was cool to see. But yeah, they're in, in, in another uh, instrumental prog metal band, and they put out a record a couple of years ago, and they put out a single recently. And so, um, yeah, I think Aaron's a really cool dude, and the kind of music they do is like really fun to see live. Yeah, and so it's gonna be a, a pretty jam packed night, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, um, and he's another artist that went to Schechter recently. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. another one of the of those big names in that scene that have moved over to Schecter. Yeah. So now we've got John Brown from Monuments, uh, Aaron Marshall, uh, Keith Marrow, who is not not really in the same kind of sphere, but um, still popular. Um, he's with Schecter. Who who else? Nick Johnson. Yeah, who's Johnson. not really in the same scene at all, but he's played on played on something. I think I feel like he did like a guess on like they did. Did he do a guest solo on Spencer's track? Yeah, on Parade of Ashes. Oh, yeah, on his clear track. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, that, and something else as well. So, yeah, a lot of big, a lot of big names moving over to Schechter. I definitely want to want to try a Aaron Marshall six string. I love that. That's like my finish, <laughs> yeah, on it. Yeah, that's a sharp guitar for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and then. Uh, the second half of the Plintervals uh, deal there is is Plenty. He just put out a new single uh, and announced a new EP, but I, I haven't listened to it yet. But... Yeah, I watched the video. It was really cool. It actually reminded me of We Are by Carnival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like in the house like that, <laughs> like then playing very, their different instruments in different parts of the house, and I yeah. really like that. But Plenty is definitely, for some reason, I was didn't like him in the beginning but he's become one of my favorites like in that space for sure yeah his music is so much it feels so much more than just guitar music yeah it's just it's like very well rounded and composed yeah and his playing is really cool and he's definitely like you know the future of like where steve Vai and joe satriani left off and taking that stuff to like the next the next generation yeah but the few times we've gotten to see him i really enjoyed it yeah elijah really likes him a lot yeah um and uh uh i'm patiently awaiting the new silent planet record too um when does that come out to joey it comes out in november right yeah i'm not super sure like exactly how it works if you look at the release the ep as it's called on spotify it's the four songs that they put out but then on apple music it shows like 12 or 10 or something like that, which is called super bloom on on the third. Um, and I haven't heard them talk about the full length. I haven't paid attention that much, but I haven't seen them much talk about it. So I will see on the third if it comes out like that, but hopefully, but all the songs that have come out so far have been really sick. Yeah. 
besides that, uh, Extol put out two new songs that oh, really? I've been listening to a lot for like the last like uh, week and a half. It's been so that's that was, great. It's been really sick. Is that yeah. leading up to another record? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I okay. would assume they haven't really spoken to more than that just yet. They were supposed to play furnace fest but um they had like an issue with their visas like last minute that they weren't able to play here in the states so Dang. um but i'm sure they're gonna try to get uh here at some point i know they said that uh, on social media but when was their last record 10 years ago uh 2013 yeah that sounds about right Dang. that's yeah. really insane yeah um besides that I can't think of anything else super recent that I've listened to. Yeah, let me look at my... I always listen to way more Opeth like this time of year. Yeah, it's a good time, time for that, yeah. Nice. Blackwater Park is such a good record. Mm-hmm. Ghost Reveries. Uh, I'm a really big fan of this uh, European-based like singer-songwriter composer Jordan Racky Rakai. Um, he, if you're familiar with like the guitar player Tom Mish, mm-hmm. maybe you've heard that name before. He's like kind of in that sphere as well, and so he just put out a new single, and I think he's gearing up for a new album. And I really like that stuff. Uh, definitely like like artists that are like very 50 50 like piano based and guitar based like sure. songs and so i really enjoy that nice um listening to the plenty stuff um there's this other indie artist i dress that has done there's like been putting out singles that he's like co-written with mac demarco and like co-starring him in the videos and stuff and i always get a kick out of hmm. max personality always very quirky and fun videos so i've been listening to that yeah when is he supposed to put out something new? It's, I feel like it's been a... Well, he put out that 200-song album like, like six months ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> I forget what it was called. And so he was just... He's really just shifting gears into just kind of doing whatever. But he's been collaborating with a lot of artists. I forget what the name of his thing was, but he basically just got all his demos together and released a 199-song album. Pretty wild. Yeah, that I'm probably not gonna. <laughs> I'm probably not gonna catch that one. Yeah, it's called One Wayne G, and there are 199 <laughs> tracks on it. What are the songs called? Just numbers? They're just numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow, I think they're dates. Yeah, maybe dates, yeah. But huge Mac DeMarco fan, but made it through maybe a, a fraction of those. But yeah. Um so what's on reverb? Um for me, I mean, kind of a big thing lately has been the recent uh the seasonal sale on PRS SE guitars and so there's lots of cool deals to be had there we were talking the other day when we were hanging out about like all the mccarty's and stuff like that and um i do like really love the the new teal finish on the 594 and 
those kind of things. And but I'm really wanting to try a DGT SE. I've still, like heard nothing but glowing reviews about that. Um, being like like the best SE. Hmm. Um, but hopefully someday um, get to check one of those out. Otherwise. Otherwise, not a whole lot's jumping out to me. I mean, I don't really anticipate buying another guitar anytime soon, but um, probably a, you know some kind of humbucker-based guitar is probably gonna be my next buy. Like I've got got some really good strats and an Atelli style, and definitely want something humbucker, humbucker-based. That's probably like the next next buy for me. Sure. Um, Joey. Yeah. What do you got, Joey? Um, it's pretty much the same thing, to be honest. Um. The deal in the SEs is like pretty outrageous, um, especially extending to like their newest models or newest finishes of existing models. Uh, I really want to get uh, uh, a Paul's guitar, SE Paul's guitar in charcoal. I think that looks really cool. Um, so I'm like kind of actively looking for those, um, like one that looks like close to what I would want anyway. Is that or I mean, I always look for. And I've mentioned it on the podcast before too, like the Ackerfeld SEs. Those are always cool. There's a couple yeah. on Reverb now too, but uh, I think right now I kind of just decided like if if it's possible because that sales through the end of the year to find the Paul's guitar, then taking advantage of the sale, uh, you'd probably be smarter to do than to try to maybe narrow in on the Ackerfeld um, right now. Because I, I would imagine even like the resale value for used stuff later, again, after the sale would go up too. So it'd probably be a little bit more expensive to get. So I'm just kind of narrowed it down to that. So waiting for Sweetwater to get more, waiting, like looking on Reverb for other retailers that put up their own uh, photos of the specific ones they have too. Yeah. Um, and then I don't really have anything else on here. I did just go in. We went earlier in the week to go and trade in a couple of pieces of gear to Guitar Center um, in El Paso. So, because there was a deal, or there was a, a used AC30 C2 that came up in California, used Guitar Center somewhere that I saw that was, um, it was the vintage black version, which is essentially the same as the standard uh, one with the brown diamond grill, but it's a black diamond grill and then stock it comes with uh g12m 65 cream backs and um a set of i believe it's jj um tubes across the board uh that they had in stock so i went and traded in my my ac50 and my avatar 4x12 um for um some money and then just paid the difference on it and i just got that or i just just bought that last week and it's still waiting to be shipped but hopefully by the end of the next week i'll have it so it'll be cool Very yeah cool. i cannot believe it hasn't shipped yet that's mm. actually so insane yeah i was making a scene at the party last night asking about that i was like that's kind of crazy yeah it's been like three or four days yeah i mean i would i doubt they try to go and ship them on or do anything with them on the weekend anyways but two days would seem like more than enough time but we'll see i guess we'll see tomorrow like what happens mm. yeah well, unsurprisingly, I was also looking at the PRS SE sale, and find and uh, what what was it, Dylan? Was it about a month ago that we went up to uh, Albuquerque, um, 
maybe a little bit more than that. It was the end of September. Mm. Finally got to go to Village Guitarist and meet those folks that you've been talking about. And as promised, they're they're great. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Eric and Ted. Yeah. Uh, uh, super nice guys. Super helpful. Um, very accommodating. Um, basically tried to make us as comfortable as possible, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Uh, they, 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 they had quite a bit of a selection of, of SE, um, stuff in the store at the time, but then they also got a lot of the newer models in. And so I picked up a SE, uh, uh, CE 24, um, in blood orange. Um, so that came in a couple of weeks ago and thanks to Joey, I've changed out some of the, of the stock parts on it. Um, I've put, uh, PRS locking tuners on it changed the trust rod cap to to uh anodized aluminum instead of the, of the plastic um the pickup rings have been swapped and the knobs have been swapped to the like the clear tra- uh translucent knobs with the like the black ring um at the at the bottom of them um so that was that was joey's idea and it was incredibly helpful and it just kind of it makes it look more like a core. Yeah, it line. makes it look mm-hmm. more, more like a core. Yeah. Um, and so I've been I've been really ha- I've been really happy with that. There was a few that I was kind of on the fence about. After talking with Ted and 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 Joey about it, when I ended up going with the the CE for the bolt-on neck. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. Um, I mean, there's always stuff to look at on on reverb. I'm always palling around on there but not anything that i currently actively have my eye on uh i can't imagine what else there could possibly possibly be but um other than like missed parts or something like that that i just want to pick up yeah uh, you know but um you also did a pickup swap recently you want to tell us about that no i don't want to talk about that um <laughs> uh, so yeah uh um I in my Ibanez RG fifteen twenty seven. Um, I had uh, they were actually Joey's, which I believe I bought from him for fifty dollars. Is that what you sold them to me for? Well, you already had. I think I already had. You might have already had the crunch lab, and I had the liquefier. And I just a, yeah. I don't even remember selling them. I think we just put it in there because you had gave it to me to set up originally, but maybe we did. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I don't th- remember what you had in it before, to be honest. But it was an Air Norton. Yeah, so then you had one of the set, and I happened to have the other one from whenever I... Friendly enough, is whenever I had the 7421XL, and I had put the Alpha Omegas in it, and I had taken out the original pickups for that. One of them was the liquefier, which is why I had it. Mm, okay. So, so then we just completed the set whenever we got your guitar in the first time. Yeah. Um, and, okay, yeah, that is a really funny circle of events actually um so then uh last week or maybe a week and a half ago dylan and joey were over and we were playing and we noticed that in the bridge position there was quite a bit of noise like it was it was split coil but it shouldn't have been and so i took a little bit of a look at the wiring re-soldered all the joints and it was still still having that issue um and so i i i cleaned up the solder quite a bit um and was still having that problem and so i ended up going with uh seymour duncan uh the mark holcomb uh the mark holcomb signature set the scarlet and the scourge 
uh, dropped those in there last week. Um, it, so right now, uh, it's it's it, it's a five-way blade uh, switch, and it's only wired up so that um, position one, three, and five are like actively working. So that that'll probably be the next uh, part that I buy. It's just I replace that blade switch to a three-way instead of a five-way, so it makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean they sound great. I'm I'm really happy with them. Uh, actually, really tight uh, when they need to be. You get a lot of like note clarity, which is part of what's advertised, right? But like that's Mark's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they sound really good. I also just really enjoy doing those kind of projects, like like swapping things out and doing and doing the soldering and getting this the uh, uh, circuitry as tight as I can and trying to have it be neat uh, and stuff. Um, I just I enjoy that stuff. So yeah, super cool. Definitely excited to plug it in and jam out a little bit. Uh, you're not allowed to touch it. Oh no. Um, so should we actually dive into today's topic, which is dynamics? Let's do it. Sure. Okay. Well, first I would like somebody to explain to me what are dynamics. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say when I think dynamics, um, I think about variance uh, in volume and intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh so um, I know that whenever you're thinking about a, a signal chain for, for for pedals, dynamics is also like that. That's a key component of it. But whenever I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it in like in the mixing console of a DAW yeah. and like polishing a mix or getting um, like a bus uh, to have good dynamic range so that it sounds impactful and at the moments it needs to and and backs down when it needs to. Um, I don't think a lot about dynamic art. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. I didn't think a lot about dynamics in my signal chain for just playing guitar uh, until um, really relatively recently. And what really highlights that more than anything else is a pedal, for me, for me speaking, uh, uh, is a pedal that we've talked about, about before which is uh, um, the the uh, Harlow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's uh, that one's really good. It's really straightforward too. It's it's just a compressor that you can boost with. Has like a a tilt EQ on it, and and then like a very basic compressor circuit that's like very musical. But yeah, I didn't use a lot of those types of things except for occasionally on clean sounds yeah that was also my like primary use case for them was like helping to like smooth out the clean parts yeah i mean i think before it was always like because it was i really only had like the two realms before of like playing or like types of sounds and just like very pristine clean and then uh very overdriven metal distortion so there wasn't like a lot of in between that I had at the time. Um, but it's different now. So I like to have the compressor for a multitude of things, but that's like the most basic of the, or like the most common of the dynamic affecting 
uh, pedals that you would see on a person's board. This is a compressor, which basically just uh, like evens out the signal based on how you're playing. Um, so it's taking the the floor of the signal and bringing that up, um, as well as taking the peak of your signal and, and pulling that down so that they're more even, which depending on what you're going for can be good or bad. I mean, I, I think I wouldn't want that any more than you already get and like an over like a really heavily overdriven sound um because you get some of that naturally from all of the distortion that's there but yeah it can be good for leads um to make those just feel easier under the fingers more sustained okay. um but especially for cleans and then like mid-gain tones like i like it a lot um for um just evening things out and then like especially on like an, an amp like like a high wattage fender or something that's just like super, super pristine and clean. Like I have trouble like wanting to play with like a, a normal amount of intensity. Cause it just like it, it, it captures every single peak with such clarity that it's like very pokey. Yeah. yeah. Sounding. So the, the compressor helps with some amps like that. Um, they can make it sound more even. And then again, like boost using it, like especially in the way that the Harlow kind of like is set up to be uh, for boosting is also pretty cool. Whether it's like split sounds or um, lead sounds, things like that. Yeah, um, primarily use it on the clean sounds, as we'd said, but also like on the lead sounds, it definitely like helps keep things like smooth and consistent, which is yeah. you have to use sparingly because you don't want to rely too much on that. But it is good in some some situations. Um, but yeah, similar to like what Jared said, like in the past, I definitely like I've paid more attention to that in terms of like a DAW and recording and stuff and like controlling like drum sounds and stuff like that. But it's definitely very important in the guitar chain. Yeah. Arguably even more so in the bass. Yeah. Which yeah. is super important. And Jared yeah. probably knows about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, in my experience, as far as of, you know, using it um, in a bass signal chain which uh you know it just helps control dynamic range like joey has talked about but you know like depending on on the way in which you're playing you know you have such a a a range of like i want to say a like a attack um uh, or like the velocity the impact and the range of the struck note can vary so much depending on the method of play that you kind of need something to um, normalize it to a certain extent, especially if you're, if you're somebody that switches between styles of play, like in the context of a, of a single song or something like, so, you know, slap pop is going to, is going to be so much more percussive and the, the, like the higher highs and the, like the thumping nature of it is going to be, is going to be so much more of a peak than like if you're playing with your fingers. Mm -hmm. And so having something to kind of balance that out within reason, um, is really important, which is why you'll, you'll frequently see a lot, of, a lot of bass amps come with a compressor, just kind of pre, um, pre-built into the circuit, which is, you know, some of them are, are better than others. Um, I've, I've, I've always liked the one on the Ampeg, uh, PF 500, um, that I, I used for a long time. Um, I know that the, the Cali 1176, is that the name of that pedal? 
that's been a really common uh, and popular bass compressor um, that that I, I I don't own, but I've I've always wanted to own. Um, but uh, yeah, like especially since you're dealing or you can deal with such a range of of uh, frequencies, not just in the style of play, but also like from the incredibly like low sub bass to to like even some guitar territory depending on how you play mm -hmm. and so um i just found that having having light compression in most contexts because i don't i don't play super hard whenever i'm i'm not playing like any type of, of metal music or going for like a slap pop kind of effect uh just helps you know make things sound a little a little bit more uh within a margin of error like like you're not seeing you know huge dips and then huge peaks it's it's a little more even but but i feel like something that um you know we've already kind of said but you don't want it to be too much right you don't want it to be like like crushing your signal um or not really present at all because part of like I've always thought that part of part of, of what makes a good player of of any instrument is knowing how to just play dynamically in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so like knowing when to back off on volume and, and uh, intensity for effect. And so you want, in my experience, you want the compressor to complement that rather than completely take control. Um, but uh yeah, that's that. That's kind of been m my take on it for a very, very long time. I used an a uh, MXR bass compressor, which I was really, really happy with, and then one of the not uh, the knobs broke off and it was out of warranty. And now I think I could probably fix it because I have all the component pieces to do that. That might be a good weekend endeavor to fix that pedal. Because yeah. it hasn't worked in quite some time, and I tried to warranty it, and it was like four years out of warranty. <laughs> so, um, and they wanted to charge me like more than I could buy it for used to fix it. Um, that was a while ago though, so uh, my soldering capability has improved a little bit since then. So yeah. I think I might be able to fix it. Dang, I'm so glad I thought of that. Actually, I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you had any other compressors besides the the Harlow? I let me see there. I think there was the TC one I had for a little bit. I don't think I had the hypergravity, but yeah. I had a whatever the Walrus one's called. Um, not the Anglerfish Walrus Audio. It's called the Deep Six Compressor. Mm -hmm. I had for a little bit. And that one's really cool too. Um, has more controls. Looks like they've updated it too, so it's like even more you can do with it. But now the focus pedal is just a boost, right? It's a parametric EQ with a oh, boost. Okay. Yes. Okay. Very nice. I think the only hard, like physical compressor pedal I had was just a, a one of the red Dynacomps. Yeah, I had that for for a couple of years. 
and that that was fun um but there's just you know you're kind of limited in and how much uh detail work you can do on like fine tuning it to your sound but i mean that's a, cl a classic for a reason for sure but um yeah i've primarily done most of like my experimenting with compression and like the digital workspace on modelers and stuff but i definitely have used it increasingly more on like lead lead patches and stuff like when playing live like that really helps um especially like on even on patches that like i also have a fuzz pedal engaged yeah to where you can like where it's all like all stays audible uh, yeah i enjoy doing that as well definitely makes a big difference But a lot of the, like the prog metal bands that we really like and that I'm really inspired by, like that's like part of an effect is like being over compressed almost in some senses, especially like on the spacey clean parts. That's like, that's kind of part of the effect. And I really like that too. That's yeah. something that I've kind of always gone for as well as a result of being influenced by them. Yeah. Just to have that like super, like just to have it super like dynamically tight is mm -hmm. that is that really what they're yeah okay hmm yeah i mean just to talk about that dynacomp that one's almost actually more like a limiter because it's like it's so i remember it was pretty aggressive yeah it's very all on and not a lot of adjustment that can be made but oh it's a it's a sound you know it's the sound of uh, a lot of records from mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Can we actually talk about that then? Like, let's talk about, um, because I have never really thought about using a limiter pedal in, in the, in that yeah, sense. Like, so, I mean, once again, that is something that I think of only in the context of mixing and mastering. I, I never think about it really in a signal chain. Um, I guess in a conventional way. So like what, what what is the uh, desired goal for using something like a limiter over a compressor well if you think about like the use that the dynacomp was used for it was like a country thing mm. i think like uh or there's you know there's ingve used the dynacomp for a long time andy summers um but like dynacomp specifically and it was like i, I want to say the ross one uh before that I forgot what it's called. If it's just called a compressor or what, um, yeah. but it like adds to the like chicken picking thing and it being like super squashed. Yeah. Uh, and then for that, it's like more of its own effect than it is just, um, it's like, it gives it like a percussive, like pop to yeah. it. That's like, you don't really have without it being super compressed like that. So it's just like almost more as like a, an actual effect than just like, um, like adding to an existing sound or smoothing out something a bit it's like used for effect um, no that's the chicken chicken sound is like something that's heavily compressed or like well i mean even... it's it's partially like hybrid picking yeah 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 for the most part yeah and like the technical but, like but a lot of it the, the super percussive like poppy stuff is using like something like a dynacomp or mm. uh the raw stuff like that something that's like basically a limiter yeah at that point mm -hmm. um And I think it, people use it in funk too, yeah. Um, for like the, you, know, you get like a lot of the, uh, I don't know what you would call them, like the percussive like stuff that people do on funk. 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, 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 like yeah. muting, but yeah, like a bunch of yeah. space for it. Like uh, it, it brings that forward a lot. So Jared and I both have the Corey Wong neural DSP plugin, yeah. and it's got a lot of really great like tight rhythm stuff. And he's got most of those like presets definitely have a lot of heavy compression on them. Yeah. yeah. I don't actually use that too much now that I have the FM three. Hmm. Uh, I've used it a lot actually for bass sounds. Yeah, I know it was really popular for that. Yeah. But once again, that soft tube Eden plugin works for you. Oh my god. I would sell a firstborn for that thing. I think it sounds great. But but if I didn't have that then of course I would use the Cory <laughs> one. <laughs> um also, just a quick point, just playing off of that, there was that was definitely a desirable sound in like funk guitar of like people playing DI guitar and just yeah. plugging basically straight into a compressor. It's like mm. two eleven seventy sixes into the console, and that's like the funk sound, like Nile Rogers and Chic and and all the funks like the Prince stuff and all that. It's just yeah. like DI guitar, which is pretty wild. That is really crazy, actually. Yeah. Yeah, when we were so much uh, tone chasing and stuff like they were just plugging into the thing, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the that was their magical sound. You know, yeah, they're pretty wild. So I feel like the next logical step now is noise gates, uh, and that's something that I think we're all fairly familiar with from playing in like heavy metal bands for most of our lives, and that was uh, setting thresholds and uh understanding you know what when you're gonna start like cutting into your sound a little bit too much if you set it too high Mm -hmm. was something that uh i I remember being a frequent topic of conversation so i I guess i'm just wondering between the two of you like how do you think about setting your gate um like depending on the application like what are like best practices or like rules of thumb if you have any for and I know that it's going to be like context specific, right? But like, I just kind of mean in whatever example you can give me, like, what are you thinking when setting gates? I'm not thinking. <laughs> Next topic. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess in a high gain context, like it just depends on the effect that you're going for. Like sometimes you people want things really tight and really choppy and almost sound like they're edited in real time by like, killing the sustain after a certain point killing any background amp hiss or hum or anything like that yeah and there's a lot of sounds you know like a general gate is like you know a lot less intense than that where it just kind of cleans up the in-between like ground hiss and hum and like mitigates any kind of like feedback from the amp being turned up loud and just having that like kind of that amount of gain dialed in um but yeah it just it depends on the application i mean i'm generally have only used noise gates in like you know heavy metal contexts where i definitely it generally needs a, a fairly aggressive uh setting on it but um yeah i know a lot of people that really like um like a very intense gate and there's and a lot of those similar bands like they have different like rhythm patches where they like have the super tight section and then they have yeah. like a general sound yeah. and they like alternate between the two. So yeah, yeah. you can, there are definitely a lot of different shades of effect depending on how you set it. Yeah. 
I knew that was common, yeah. But as as you said, like there's definitely just like a general guideline of like how much is this taking away versus like how much is this like cleaning it up and polishing the in between sound. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Um uh Yeah, for me it's basically the same. I mean I pretty much I only ever use it if it only ever comes up with, with gain and if there's like if I have if I have feedback or hiss or noise that's ex- excessive when idle, then I use one for that. Um, but for effect too, like you said, like there's parts of like, uh, what is it? New groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that was like a, a, for us, which is like a periphery intro. Which, which, did they change the, the name of that? No, no, no. Just new groove. new groove. Yeah. Uh, where it's used for effect where like it's, they're not even really fully like whenever they're using it, uh, at some parts, it's like the note's still muted, uh, and then the gates cut even further. Um, so it's like, if you struck it open, like the open string, it probably wouldn't. It probably cut off some of the attack, or like wouldn't sustain very long. But um, depending on how you use it, it can be a cool effect. And then there's a lot of cool ones now. Before, like 10, 15 years ago, there were fewer options, but um, now there's like really creative stuff that people have done. Something that like people already did with something like the boss ns2 in the realm of metal was uh using it well i guess there's a difference between if you have like a high gain amp and you have access to an effects loop using it in the front of the amp where you have it in the chain uh in front of the amp and then uh, potentially in the effects loop as well because there's there's an argument for all of them then you've seen there's people that have done like especially in the digital realm like multiple instances in various parts of the chain even before the amp like there's people that would use gates in the front to clean up uh hiss coming from the guitar yeah again after the drive to clean up hiss from that um and so that was a pretty common thing like using multiple gates for it there but now now they now you see a thing a bit more which is really smart where they just have they have um the gate in a position where it sees the last um, provided amount of gain on the signal, which is usually after the preamp of like a high gain amplifier, but it's reading the input as close to the input of the guitar as possible. So they have like a, a key input. A lot of them refer to it at like the Fortin pedals and stuff like that, where they sure. are, again, they're operating off of just the DI signal more or less, but then they are, they're operating off of that, but then, um, I guess you're kind of like not left at the mercy of the like altered sound, the altered DI sound. Like if you had like a drive and then had the pedal after that, then it's like your guitar, if you turned off the drive for some sort of section, then the gate settings are kind of messed up because it's no longer reading the drive and they added, you know, output and everything from that, that it was trying to clean up before. And now the signal is totally different. Whereas with the key input, it'll always be reading the same signal. And you can just set it for effect on like how you want it set, what the threshold and things like that. So it's really, sure. it's really, really smart. Yeah, you can get like way cleaner and actually like more transparent uh, gating uh, with that way. And, and people did that kind of thing a, a bit before with um, the Boston S2, like I was saying, which is there was an that had like a send and return on it where people would use what they refer to as an X pattern, where it would go into the pedal, into the front of the amp then back into the board and then out from the board into the send return. And it's, uh, it's probably wrong the way I'm describing it, but 
uh, it did a similar thing where it would cut the hiss from the preamp or post preamp and 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 pre um, to do that. So there's a lot of cool like innovations that people have come up with um, that companies have put out that are uh, really cool. That makes it like more transparent, but at the same time more effective at doing what it does. Um, so that's that's really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't really have that level of like understanding nah, of that. Either. So that that's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it it I think that goes to show you that like uh, something that is seemingly as simple as as a gate is actually highly complex, and the way that it that it attacks literally and figuratively, uh, like the problem or uh the signal like can can kind of vary in philosophy uh quite a bit and also that even something like that type of of like signal chain control can can still evolve and and change and and uh you know be an area of innovation where it it almost seems like something that like would have been figured out a long time ago and to a lot of extents it it has but like there's still kind of smarter ways to 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 do it yeah and uh which i think is you know that's really cool yeah yeah before that kind of setup you used to have to like like kind of depending on if you had like multiple people playing through the same rig you kind of had the issue like everyone plays with a different uh, amount of intensity so it was kind of like if you set it uh, a certain way for yourself and the other person that played next was like had a lighter touch then they kind of had to like they could never really break through the threshold of what it was set to before and so you had to adjust that there whereas like now it's kind of like you can almost set the setting so that it it's kind of the same but you're you're cutting more so like the not release but like the cutoff of the sound itself like the, the back end as opposed to like the front end so sure. it's, it's a bit different but very, very cool. Yeah, it depends on your gain settings too. Like yeah. that was always the balancing act of like how much gain and especially where it's positioned uh, would dictate how you, how aggressive you had to set the drive uh, or the, uh, sorry, the gate um, to, to allow it to still be like musical, not cut off the front of the note, uh, but then still cut out at the appropriate time after you finish playing. Yeah, I think the uh I think I've only had one gate, the MXR smart gate. Yeah. Yep. Um yeah. Jared, have you ever I've never gate? owned a, a dedicated I've never owned a dedicated gate, no. Yeah. Joey had the fabled ISP decimator. Yeah, the first one. I had the first decimator. And that was like the end game noise gate. I was like what the pros used. Yeah. Thomas had that uh NS two. Yeah. As a classic as well. Yeah. All right. So then moving on, it's something as simple as volume pedal uh, or or volume control in uh, dynamics. And so, you know, obviously you've got the knob on your guitar, but I think, you know, we're thinking more in the context of, of a pedal board and uh, kind of the power that having a volume pedal kind of gives you because uh, you know it's removing the attention that you would need to give. You know you're kind of like splitting focus from your hand. You know picking or you know actively playing 
a guitar changing position to you know just having it get controlled by your foot and it's almost a little bit well actually i feel like it, it it's a hundred percent more accurate doing it that way because it can be actuated to to pressure and a few other things uh uh there depending on the quality of the pedal and uh it's much easier to judge the degree and less likely to slip due to like sweat or something like that and so um volume pedals are not something that like i i have and um i'll, I'll play with them uh uh but i know that's something are you using a volume pedal dylan or do you do everything on on the guitar no i'm just operating off the guitar yeah so uh, as you had said like it's it you can definitely be a lot more precise like having a, an actual dedicated pedal for it and depending on what kind of music you're playing like when you you are using that a lot and especially as like a key component of a song of a composition like you really need that that specific control to like you know fade in and out of parts and stuff but um i i primarily just use it like you writing the volume knob on a guitar and mm-hmm. that's that's limiting because you're like trying to play and also do this well at the same time but that just like pulls a certain sound out of you and stuff and so yeah it's fun to like try and mimic like the sound of a violin by like yeah yeah those things in but um i have i think i still own it. i still have a, a fractal expression pedal that i experimented with just using in in terms of like volume and so it is it is cool it just depends on what what kind of sound and effect that you're going for but it can definitely be way more precise by like having the dedicated pedal for it it depends on where you put it in your chain too because like you in the context that you both talked about now it's like that would be like it was in the beginning Yeah. Yeah. yeah people use it post drives or post you know any number of effects for different reasons too like um if you use it post drives then it's almost like a master volume for all of the signal up to that point and that includes drives so like you can just have it as a quieter uh, volume but it's still like dynamically the same so i wouldn't yeah it just depends on how you use it but um the the thing to remember with it is the um different impedances that they have yeah um, that's what i was going to ask you about uh, what were you asked? Well, like what, like why? So I I noticed in the note that it says uh, match value of, of pots in guitar. What I, I mean? Yeah. Why? So yeah. Well, the reason for that is because it's like a passive volume controls is essentially just a volume, just a pot in a pedal, for lack of a better way of explaining it. So you can think of it as putting an additional load on the signal. Um, so you wouldn't want to put something that was a lower impedance on something that like, if you think of like active pickups that are traditionally a, a one meg ohm, uh, potentiometer, you wouldn't want to use like a, like a 250 K, um, volume. Cause then you'd get a really dull sound. It's just mm. like what you would put an, an additional load on there, but it's also like so significantly um, darker and like doesn't match what's on there and it's not really i guess that really about matching you could have an increased one so you, if you had like single coil pickups that are like again more traditionally 250k yeah um and you had a i don't even i can't even think of a volume pedal that's 500k like a humbucker um you were like the kind of pots you would use for humbuckers but if you had a 500k volume pedal then that would still be fine because it's higher than what your guitar is already able to produce anyway. So it's not like it's adding anything more. It's just more, it's like 
it's not really putting an additional load. I mean, it is, but it's like higher bandwidth in a way than what was already on there. So um, like, you know, whenever people put like a lot of people will like take their guitar and remove the tone knob and they just have just the volume knob on there. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, I just want it direct from the volume knob to the output. Or mm-hmm. some people don't even use that either. They just go straight to the output. But and because they like the sound that it has, but yeah, um, it's because it's reducing the load, and so you get a more sharp and or aggressive resonant peak from the pickups, um, and that can be a desired sound depending on what you're after. I personally like the sound of the two knobs on there in any configuration. So, like on a humbucker guitar or guitar with humbuckers, the generally you have at least one volume and one tone, so you have two 500k pots. And having those two in this signal is like you get the desired effect and sound from the pickups and the way they're designed. Most people test them and design them with a normal configuration. So sure. Uh, I've done it for friends where we've tried to remove, we've removed the, the tone knob before and they liked it. But to me, it's just, you get like a way more spiky and like, kind of like Nate, not nasally, but like, I just, it, the people say it sounds more open. Yeah, which in some ways is true because it's brighter because of the higher resonant peak, but yeah, it's just not as smooth sounding. And I, I just prefer the smoothness of the traditional layout. Even if you did do like a cut out the volume knob or the uh, tone knob and just yeah. had the one, yeah, 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 you could simulate the same thing by putting another two fifty k resistor or something on it, or, right. or another five hundred k resistor. So you have both in there, or um, you could put a two fifty k pot in. And that would function the same as having two 500Ks in there in, in, in this same pathway. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So those that, are yeah, yeah, some that, of the reasons to consider. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the level of uh, customization that I would never have even considered. That's super cool. Yeah, so you always want it to be like at least equal, um, if not potentially higher, depending on your uses. I mean, high impedance, I, I think I might have the it wrong, but would you would most often hear is like a more sensitive thing which is not necessarily like really doesn't mean much of anything it doesn't mean like high impedance is better than anything else it just ideally you just want it to match whatever uh, your guitar has primarily sure there's like passive and active circuits too which have their own benefits one thing you pretty much don't ever want to use at least in a passive volume is the tuner out because you're it'll uh, always split the signal yeah and uh I can't remember how to explain it exactly, but it, it, you put a, basically, I think the way you would explain it is that you put a parallel load on the signal at that point, especially on a passive one specifically, if it's active, it's different, but you would have taken like an ABY thing basically and split it into two different rigs and that like you have cut, not effectively the signal in half, but like you just put a parallel load on it and it doesn't sound like it's supposed to. Huh. That's really interesting. Yeah. So is that just... By virtue of the fact that it's passive and yeah. it is okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, because I mean, all it really does is is it it's functions it's, exactly like an ABY. Where yeah, it takes your one signal and routes it to two things and puts that parallel load on it. So you pretty much never on a passive anything that has that tuner out want to use it. Huh, that is really interesting. The so, more you know. Yeah, so I guess in that case, you would just always have the tuner some, you know, somewhere else in the signal. Yeah, you could have it after the yeah. the pedal. You could have it 
I mean, if it was an active pedal, if it was an active volume, then you could have it after that. Or if you had like a, like a buffered splitter. Yeah. So if you had like a buffer that had a tuner out, if it's buffered, uh, you could you could go off of that and have it go on a thing, and then get the rest of the signal go to the volume pedal, and then everything else after that. But um, that's something you obviously don't have to worry about if you use like a volume pedal as an expression pedal, like into something instead, because then it's not reading the guitar input anymore. But um, if you're going to use a volume pedal, then it's something to consider. So after volume, I feel like the next major topic, which is actually rather broad, um, is is EQ, wah, and then envelopes, which are three pretty distinct things, but they all have to do with you know controlling specific bands. Um, and I feel like maybe we can talk more broadly about about eq first um you know so i think we're all pretty familiar with using eq on amplifiers you know bass middle treble you get familiar with the manual of the amp that will tell you what frequency range it's cutting and or going to boost what you know where's neutral uh if it's active or passive and so on um but whenever you dive into like EQ pedals specifically, I think that's kind of a whole other realm of, of control, um, especially depending on the type of pedal you get. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly something other than using it in a digital setting, like on the FM3 or on um, some of the uh, neural plugins that I, I've ever really, I've never owned like a dedicated EQ pedal before. I mean, I've had a wah or something, but like, uh, or an envelope, but never like EQ block. And I, I guess I've never felt the reason, like a reason to do that. But I know that a lot of people feel like if they don't have that, it completely nukes the sound they're going for. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. I mean, if you, some people will have it just so they always have the option of like, if they have like a, a you know, they, like a fly rig or something where they just need to play into whatever the venue has like you can have more control over what at least the the thing about it is depending on where you set it um it's altering the sound of what was before it and so like you can't really always assume that by pushing up the the low frequencies on an eq that that means that the amp is producing more bass. I mean, it will because it'll be seeing more bass frequencies yeah. hit it, but depending on how it acts or reacts to that, that'll vary it as well. But yeah, I mean, people use it for a number of things. People use it for solo boosts, you know, because they can like cut lows and highs and boost more mid-range for solos or, or sure. maybe the opposite if you need it for a different effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you need like a lo-fi thing, you can like cut out all of that too. Yeah. Uh, or in the same way, but not have it boost. Um, um, people use it for like faux second channels on like single channel amps where they have it like EQ'd pretty differently. Then there's like some amps that like the EQ beyond like the, the knobs is like a crucial part of how you mess with it. Like the Mark series of Mesa amps. Like the whole thing is that the, the graphic EQ on those is, is primarily how you you dial in the sound of the amp because all of the the knobs are set up before it hits the gain um so bass middle treble and so that's why you see like people like john patricia do the like super low bass thing because it's effectively doing what like a tube screamer would do where it trims all the trims all the bass down um so you can do that 
almost on its own with that. And then you, you see the classic V shape with the Jim Petrucci things. People think that it's like scooped mids, but it, it's like, it works for the amp the way that it's, it's designed. Yeah. The way it's designed and the topology of it and everything. So it's actually not scooped like you would visually think that it is, but, uh, and then people use it for boosts. Like we know, like historically bands like Tesseract and like monuments and then have like used EQs like people would use tube screamers only. So you don't get the clipping that you get from like the, the gain portion and the, the drive portion of a, a drive pedal like that. Um, but you can still, ha you still get control over like trimming the bass and the treble and smoothing that out. Uh, and then you have like more specific frequency bands you can do. And that's in the form of like the graphic EQ that we're kind of yeah. speaking about so far yeah. where you have like set frequency bands that you can cut or boost. So it's active in that regard. Uh, unlike when well, we've spoken to this before too, um, depending on the amp, but if you looked at like a, even like a, a mar like a basic Fender or Marshall amp, um, like the bass knob on there is really just functionally like allow like setting how much bass you're putting into it is being allowed to go through the rest of the signal. So it's not adding more bass as you turn it up. It's just allowing more to come through that's already there. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas like some Mesa amps or anything that has an active circuit, noon is neutral and you have the ability to cut, cut or or boost. or actually add more. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so it's it, there's a, a lot of different ways they do it. And there's, again, there's like the graphic EQ thing. There's the parametric EQ, which is um, just instead of like notches at a single frequency band, it's you take like a slope on either end of the highs and lows for the most part. And you alter the slope and then its position to cut out frequencies that are... Um, at the certain threshold, at the, you know, if you set it to like a hundred Hertz and anything below that relative to the slope will be cut out at a certain rate or, sure. or completely and same for the other end too. So, and then you also have the, like there's bands in between that too, but they're not as narrow as most graphic EQs are, which are more of like a, a really sharp peak on a parametric EQ. They're usually like a bit of a rounder, um, smoother thing too, but those are just some of the most common ways to use it that i'm aware of yeah i guess something else that's interesting to kind of keep in mind is that you know while we're you know kind of talking primarily about eq uh in the form of a singular of a singular unit or 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 like how it might be applied um across different contexts it it's actually kind of impressive how like how many different ways there are to apply eq controls to every aspect of your signal chain because literally almost every pedal you have will have some form of EQ control on it as a, as, as a virtue of the pedal. Yeah. Um, and so I guess like, you know, thinking about that a little bit, um, and Joe, you might be able to answer this is like, okay, so you're running, uh, from your guitar into a drive pedal and then you're running that into, uh, or like into a compressor and then into a drive and then into, your amp and then in your effects loop you've got uh, a delay and reverb and each of those things is you you will you b before your guitar signal ever hits your amp on your drive pedal you've you know uh tweaked that a certain way however you want and then um that's going into the amp that then has its own eq and then if you're using what's in the effects loop 
and your delay pedal and your reverb pedal also have EQ for those effects specifically, like how is it how how, how is it stacking like how how is it not working so hard against each other that it's kind of coming out in the wash like they can yeah they can and I guess it depends on the effect and the way it's built because a lot of times on like a delay or a reverb or really anything that's got it's like not a drive or dynamic specifically based effect if it's got something like a a tone knob on it or something then it's a lot of times it'll primarily be affecting the sound of the repeats or whatever the actual effect of the pedal is sure not like the the direct signal from the pedal and there are some that i'm sure do affect the direct signal but um so in in the case of like a, a delay or a reverb you wouldn't risk necessarily need to like worry about Okay, I'm I'm pushing all these frequencies on one end uh, of this chain, and then I'm having to think about maintaining that here at the end, or doing something else like uh, with it with those pedals because they primarily only work on the effect they're producing. But sure, you can kind of think um, like if you're thinking about like drive pedals, anything really with the pot, and this goes kind of goes back to the load thing in a way too. Um, on it. anything that's between your guitar and it coming out of the speakers is filtering the sound in some way and so when i say like again with the amp thing and like um leaving all the like on an on a on a jcm 800 leaving all the all the knobs at noon for like the eq like it's filtering the sound by whatever is you know however that amp design with the with the pots and the value set for everything and everything uh, and then you have like the drive and all the ones in that one uh any other pedals that alter that like, alter the sound in that way too so it's like it happens more than you like really think about it like yeah because you just kind of turn them on and it's like this is okay this is the sound but uh, they can clash and i think that's something that's like maybe overlooked too is like yeah i definitely think it is having yeah. too many things on at once and that's kind of why it, I mean, some of them can sound really good, but I've personally had like a small aversion to like amp in a box pedals in the context of using those in front of an actual amp um, because it's it, it comes off to me as like you were taking the like preamp section of a JCM 800 and running that into in front of like a Fender Twin and then you have all those EQs that it's then filtering to through as well, uh, which is just like a, a weird thought to me. Like, I mean, I'm sure it can sound good and like people make amp in a box pedals in front of like amps that sound already good. have their own core sound sound good anyways. But um, it's kind of like one of those things to me that where like, I just equate it to like the, oh, I'm running cab sims, but I'm running it through a cab already. And it's yeah. like, you get like a really rolled off. Yeah. Like, cause it's like supposed to have like mic emulation and all that stuff to it. Or like, you get a really rolled off sound because it's being pushed through speakers that are not full range. Yeah. Um, it, it gives me like that sort of vibe too, but it depends. I mean, I'm, they're not like, depending on the values, they may not be that huge of a difference, but those are considerations. I, I, I think. Well, and then you move into the realm of like filter specifics and that is something that is targeting well, 
like envelopes, I guess, those are targeting specific frequencies and they're doing broad brush strokes, uh, like, or like deep cuts, deep boosts, high pass, low pass, like they're very specific in what they control, right? Rather than what an EQ would do, which is kind of, uh, you know, you get specific, spe specific access to, uh, a, to frequencies across the spectrum, whereas envelopes are designed maybe to target a wide variety of frequencies, but once one is selected, they hone in deeply on, on that set range. Yeah, depending on how you said it, I mean, you can think of an envelope filter like a wah, but like all it's really, do I mean, it depends on a month, like the most basic of wahs is like, it takes a certain shape of uh boost and then as you move it up and down or from minimum to maximum uh area of effect it it takes and moves that that amount of boost across each of these different frequency ranges so it's like you took a 3 dB boost at starting at like 120 and moved that all the way up to like 5k and that's kind of how the wah works is you're moving this like notched boost across these different frequency ranges uh and the envelope filter does that but instead of being controlled by your foot it, it, it depends on how you play the guitar and how you what you put into it and it'll kind of like read that and there's a bunch of settings for it. i'm not like the most experienced with that kind of reminds me settings. of the the key input thing you're talking about the gate earlier kind of yeah yeah so it'll of. it'll look at what you're playing and not um you don't really like like whenever it's in the wah form, you kind of play that in addition to playing the guitar, like you're doing both things and, mm -hmm. and controlling both. This one's like you use it, you dial it how you want it to sound for that instance. And it, it does the thing based on how you're playing and what the part is, um, what part you're playing. Yeah. 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 You have the Qtron. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For Electroharmonics, Qtron. And that's kind of a, a similar thing where you kind of have to control the the your uh, the level input and how much it's going to how much how hard you have to play for it to trigger the effect. Yeah. And you're kind of, I mean, as with most pedals, like you're kind of playing to the pedal as well, and like yeah. you have to get it in such a way that it's reacting to the way that you want to for the effect that you're going for. Um, and I've had more experience using that Qtron pedal than I actually have like playing with the wall. Yeah. It's pretty limited in the times I've actually used the wall a lot. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I really love that, that Qtron. I know they make some different iterations of that, but, um, I mean the classic wall sound, there's lots of, lots of like old school famous music that I really enjoy that that's like the signature part of the sound. Um, yeah. And so I enjoy big Jimi Hendrix fan. So I, I enjoy all the songs that use that as part of the composition. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like wall is one of those things that it, it's like very context specific, but it also if, if if it's used well, it it really adds something unique and special to it, especially mm -hmm. if you really know how to control it well. And obviously there's a variety of waz that affect different frequencies in the range and like how intense that effect kind of kind of is. Yeah. But it can also like really cheapen something. Uh yeah. Uh and I feel like Metallica has walked that line a lot over the years like they've you know most of of kirk solos have wah on them sometimes it's it's just right sometimes it's not um but 
yeah there's yeah. also like people i mean they kind of it's more using it more like an eq in this way but like part of the like Viljarta sound is using a cocked wah yeah. oh yeah, so yeah. That same thing because you get this huge notch in a certain frequency range and everything else is like super lean like very little bass and you get this like crazy notched like aggressive in one particular area of the frequency like sound yeah and um, we, didn't we mention the money for nothing a couple episodes ago the yeah. dire straight song that's just a, yeah. a wall just in a, fit, in a, in a position. certain position yeah, yeah. which really is crazy mm-hmm. yeah you you really wouldn't think that yeah The other ones I just threw on there because I saw them listed on like something that people were mentioning some of this stuff for. Yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to say about a talk box. I am curious about acoustic simulator pedals. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually not too educated on it. I my guess would be that uh, it's taking you know a basic DI acoustic guitar sound and it's you know which is known to be like tinny and like kind of harsh you know and it's like adding some stuff to adding some more body back into the sound to where like the plugged in acoustic guitar sound it sounds a little bit more fuller like it's never going to be able to like fully replicate the sound of you sitting there hearing the acoustic guitar like personally but it's like trying to like bring some of that that like natural sound back yeah yeah sort of in the ballpark the the boominess and like the yeah like a plugged in even a plugged in acoustic, like you get a lot of high end from the strings, uh, too. I mean, to be honest, I, I kind of view acoustic simulators kind of like I do like things like the, uh, what's it called? The BBE Sonic Maximizer, mm. and that like red pedal and like mm-hmm. the head and stuff like that too, where like it does something to the signal that I don't re- really know how it's explained, but it's not. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't heard, and and I'm not not especially tuned into the realm of those types of pedals, anyways. But I haven't heard one that like really sounds like that. I mean, they can be used full for getting like a similar kind of thing. So I, I would say like in the same way that like maybe like an acoustic sonic is valued by you guys for like having access to like both sorts of sounds, even if they're not like fully an acoustic or fully or, or, or fully an electric. Then like it kind of can get help you in a pinch, just like like a piezo. Yeah, wood yeah, and like yeah, a guitar, yeah. right? Yeah. So like, I would, I, it can definitely help you for like certain, certain parts. I'm sure, but if you didn't want to have like bring out an acoustic and change, or like the, the song has an acoustic portion right after like something that's like, obviously electric. Yeah, yeah. or depending just like on the quality of your acoustics pick pick up. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I have that Red Eye Di preamp pedal and that adds a lot to it and so you probably just like you know get a couple of different pedals in the mix and really enhance what you have going on yeah i know i mean a lot of a lot of people obviously do it but like john petrucci obviously his like most of his guitars have p8 so and um yeah um opeth in like the last 10 years maybe even like five to eight years have had like almost fully moved over to the like P22s and like the, I think there's maybe a P24s as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they have the PHOs as well. Cause they have like, obviously they have like acoustic sections in their songs too. So mm-hmm. they just like can use the PHO to, um, get a similar thing. 
that's kind of how I look at those simulators. I mean, there's probably better ones than I'm aware of. I was like, hell yeah, this sounds awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're cool. I've never really, yeah, I've, I've never one. played with one before. So yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, that that almost is the core of what the Acoustic is. It's just maybe not, you know, it doesn't have a, a, as much onboard electronics as like a pedal. Well, as like a dedicated pedal would. I know it has a daughter board in there that is controlling a lot of that. And then it has a, you know, various microphones that are simulating those effects, but, um, it seems interesting. Yeah. Uh, I would always, until I actually used one, I would be suspicious of like how convincing it really is. But I think if you probably really knew how to dial it in and could, and had a decent quality one, it would sound probably just fine. Um, yeah, I think they they're almost always, from what I've seen, like used because you have to. Like, yeah, it's like a, it's a compromise yeah. to be able to like get access to a sound like an acoustic in a pinch for it. So yeah, I'm sure there's people that use it just because they like the sound of it too. But or if you don't, if you just don't have an acoustic and you like want it to sound kind of like an acoustic for effect, then mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense too. Well, I definitely think this has been a, uh, shall we say, tour de force from Joey about the uh, specifics <laughs> of dynamics and understanding this stuff a, a little bit better. Um, uh, it definitely gave me some pretty interesting ideas, too, about things and some stuff I, I didn't know about, which is always exciting. Um, uh, I mean, there's like just like with anything else, though, right? Like there's still so much more that you could technically dive into with with yeah, this it's just this is like surface level kind of overview yeah broad overview um kind of almost face value kind of things but it's important to think about and and uh it has way more of an impact on your overall sound than you might think and i definitely think that your dynamics is something that if if it wasn't like kind of abundantly obvious already that uh you know that's something that's gonna play pretty like it's going to play a pretty important role to, in the way that the audience kind of hears and responds to like to the, to the music, to the sound that they're hearing is, is, you know, how controlled it is. If it's shrill, if it's, if it's, uh, if, if the, the correct mood is set with volume, if you're hitting, uh, you know, the correct kind of spectrum for, for the sounds that, that you're trying to, to achieve, dynamics is 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 crucial in that in in that aspect and it you you know it starts with your playing but there's all these other things that can kind of impact influence and and uh give it uh sonic qualities that that you wouldn't normally be able to achieve just by hand Mm -hmm. which is super important to consider yep i agree and anyway, he runs a museum now. So, <laughs> yeah, this was a really good, really good education. Shout out again, Joey, for always teaching us something new, giving us some good stuff to think about. And um, 
yeah, this was a very educational thing for me and always enjoy it, boys. And again, thank you to our friends for uh, tuning in and listening yep. and, yep. and checking out what we're doing. Please feel please uh, feel free to shoot us a message or interact on our Instagram or if you just want to personally message any of us with yep. ideas, feedback. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Yep. Let me on. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, any and all, we really appreciate it, you tuning in and giving us your, your time and thoughts and look forward to being back next month. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, by the time you're hearing this, we'll probably only be a day away. Um, but uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Ted at, uh, at uh, Illage guitarist just for like talking with me this last month and like helping me decide what to buy uh he's a super nice dude and um like you know you don't have to be that that kind to a stranger and and he was so that's yeah. that's really cool yeah hope hope we can get joey up there and have a nice group outing because they've been a really cool really cool place yeah i was definitely riding on the fame of dylan uh that entire excursion <laughs> i could tell that you know he was the star and uh i would say that i was just you know in his orbit but uh you know um yeah it, w- it was great so thank you yeah. all right we'll see you guys shortly with some other thrilling topic and on that bombshell this has been the Te- desert tones podcast this good. has been the desert tones podcast this has been the desert tones podcast Good night and Godspeed. Take care. Take care.